You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I had an amazing conversation with Morgan Lander and S.J. Jones about Kitty Pig. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! Um, so hi, this is Ed from Thrice, and you're listening to... Or- listening to welcome or welcome to oh okay hey this is ed from thrice and welcome to the musicians guild nice greetings earthlings well here we are Another episode of the Musicians Guild podcast. I thank you for being here and for listening. It's a lovely late Sunday morning here in Long Beach, California. It's finally cooled down where it's not uh, 90 degrees by 9 a.m. It was stressing me out. The heat stresses me out. And uh, it reminds me of missing tour like I was talking about. In our last episode, which was the first episode of Musicians Digest, uh, if you listened, thank you. I'm sorry, or I should say that it wasn't my intention for it to devolve into this sort of monologue therapy session. Uh, I'm usually going to try and have more of a focus or a subject, but it was just in me. The feelings were in me. And I'm still kind of dabbling in this whole sharing your feelings to uh, the general public and making yourself vulnerable and conquering that fear uh, through realizing that there's not really any harm that can come of it and that it's my own precious egocentric view of things that would make me believe that anyone would ever take issue with me expressing like vulnerable feelings ever. And even if they were, that would just make them a dick and I don't really need to pay attention. This is this sort of juvenile fear that I have of, I guess, expressing uh, thoughts or emotions and it's this fear that I'm going to be put back on the playground. And I'm going to make that podcast episode and all the kids playing tetherball or handball are going to drop what they're doing, turn towards me and point and laugh, which is ridiculous. I'm fucking ridiculous. Okay, so on to the next thing. Um, a handful of people have asked me about recording and what I'm using to record and have commented on the sound quality, and so thank you. I appreciate you appreciating that. Good sound quality is super important to me, or my perception of it at least, and like all of you who listen to a lot of podcasts, um, I know that nobody that has to do it loves it, and I know it's a product of circumstance, but 
I'm just so tired of listening to poorly recorded phone or Zoom conversations that it's just really important for me because we all know how kind of frustrating it can be when the levels are weird or by the time you turn the podcast up in your car to get to an audible volume, it's literally piercing your ears. Um, so I'm doing my best. And I'd like to thank my future guests that I'm requiring to record themselves and send me the audio file. Um, it's a lot of effort on their part, but it just makes such a better product in the end. So to everyone that's going to come on the show, thank you for agreeing to do it. And thank you for putting up with my high-maintenance ass and, and my ask of you recording yourself. It makes a huge difference. So, real quick to the people who are asking what I use, um, I just kind of redid my setup for the first time in a long time. My microphone is an RE20. Um, it's a very versatile and amazing dynamic mic. It's physically striking. It's got bass skills. And if you asked me, it would be one of my favorite microphones of all time. I run it into my Apollo times 4 which is the Apollo with four inputs. It's a quad processor, and I use Pro Tools. I use Pro Tools because my particular way of making podcasts is pretty editing heavy. I'm not editing the conversations per se, but I'm doing a lot of mixing and editing as far as odd sounds and noises. And every time I've tried to do any editing in any other program besides Pro Tools, I become very frustrated very quickly. For uh, monitoring while I'm recording, myself at least, I'm using noise-canceling headphones. So it gives me a really uh, nice sound. And a lot of people have commented on my, I guess, subdued way of speaking. And, I, and listening, uh, or I should say after listening, I realize that I am talking like I just suffered head trauma but it's not on purpose. It's as honestly how I feel and how I speak when I'm sitting here in front of the mic by myself. And uh, I got to admit, I prefer the thought of me being an evening, wind down, relax, fall asleep to podcast more than I really want to kind of impose myself into people's brain through sort of like this hype energy or uh, trying to grab you through I don't know, speaking in a energy drink radio sort of way. So yeah, that's the deal with my setup and why I'm speaking this way. Also, because I'm always trying to stay relaxed, especially with everything going on in the world right now. It's especially important for all of us to relax. So I hope everybody is being proactive about helping themselves find that relaxed comfortable space when you can because we can't always stay there I think the pursuit of living in that happy comfortable place 24-7 is also a huge contributor to us getting into negative addictive behaviors and and stuff like that but that said uh, life is about balance I think everything in nature is about balance. 
and for all the stress that we have to endure to take care of all the things we need to take care of, it becomes that much more important to counteract that and balance that with those things that comfort us and that uh, make us happy. And I support anybody doing whatever they got to do to find that happiness and comfort so long as it doesn't involve affecting other humans without their consent. Because being a considerate person is cool. And I don't feel like enough people these days find it cool enough. Well, I think being considerate is the coolest. All the cool kids are peeing their pants. It's the coolest. So thanks again to everybody who's been writing to me via the Musicians Guild IG or asking questions or just interacting and paying attention at all. You can also reach me at musiciansguildpod at gmail.com with any sort of questions and comments. I think if I start to get enough, uh, you know, I can see myself working a sort of like email answering segment into the pod, but uh, we'll know if we get there. So that's enough of my blah, blah, blahing. On to today's guest, who is my very good friend, Ed Breckenridge. Many of you will know him from his band Thrice. He also has a band called Less Art. And he's just a wonderful human being in general who I value very much. Ed and I first met in 2009 at Hoodwink, which is a show put on by the Bamboozle Festival. It happened the night before the Bamboozle Festival began. And it was a show of, I think, generally bands doing cover sets. So this particular one was RX, Thrice, and Newfound Glory. we and RX did a Fugazi cover set, Thrice did a Hot Water music set, and Newfound Glory did a Ramones cover set, I believe. Um, but yeah, that was the first time that we actually got to hang out. And then a few years later, uh, our friend Sergi, who Ed also played in Knapsack with, organized this Dinosaur Jr. cover record. Uh, he called the project Felled Trees. And uh, Roger was also involved uh, when we were still at Bright Lights, so I was hanging around a lot. Sergi was nice enough to include me. I think I played acoustic guitar on a track or two. But uh, after that, you know, Ed and I became better friends, skated together, and generally just really enjoy each other's company. Um, He's someone that takes all of his crafts seriously, whatever it is that he chooses to do. You can always see that he's putting a lot of thought and effort into how to improve and how to be the best at that that he can be. And not only do I relate to that, I admire that and I respect that in whoever I see it in. Ed is an extremely kind and thoughtful human being. I think we share a lot of the same neuroticisms and we find comfort in relating to each other in that way. We definitely get into a lot of that in this conversation, um, among other things. We also discuss, you know, a rough timeline of Thrice all the way from them beginning up until their hiatus, up until now, present day, where 
They are currently writing and working on a new record. This was one of those episodes where it feels like 40 minutes have passed, but it's been nearly two hours. Me and Ed always have wonderful conversation. Um, and every time we talk, I, I value it. Even after we finished recording the pod, we went to a coffee shop and ended up talking for another hour or so. Ed is just so humble and down to earth and handles so much stuff with such a grace that uh, I can't help but respect the hell out of him. His band is very, very successful, and the way he carries himself and the way he acts, he has no pretense about him, and he's as approachable and relatable as anybody I can think of. And it's so refreshing because there's so many musicians and or people who have these entities, whether it's a band or a business or a team that they're involved with that kind of can't help but adjust their view to how everything else is perceiving them rather than looking inward. And Ed always seems to have this naturally inward-looking view And it just makes him a really wonderful, intelligent, and thoughtful person. And I value him very much. The world would be a much better place if we had more Ed Breckenridges running around. It would also be a lot weirder in the best way possible. So I really hope that you enjoy this conversation with my good friend Ed Breckenridge as much as I did. Thanks for letting us do this here. Mm-hmm. Under the circumstances, many much too mundane to try and explain right now. Uh, this was the best option, so Ed has graciously allowed us to be taping this episode inside of Thrice's, um, I guess, personal writing and recording studio, which is yeah. a really cool space. Practice space, spot, yeah. Where you guys do the work. Yep. Yeah, we've gone through many, many of these over the years, but this this one seems like the uh, biggest project. So it's 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 cool to have, but um, it's a lot of work. I really like how much it's been an mo of you and your band to put so much into these spaces. You know, um, you've had many iterations of building out your own spaces and doing a heavy amount of work and projects in them yeah and i i really admire that um rx has had that but we've also gotten utilitarian later on where we just kind of get into a space and do it even though it's inspiring and not necessarily the most comfortable and stuff like that and i just know how much you like building and how crafty you are and it's cool makes me wish that uh I was in a band with you because <laughs> how much work you put into making the stuff nice, you know? Uh, I mean, it, we, we all have like our, our, our roles in the band. Like, like, uh, I end up doing a lot of, a lot of the, the building kind of stuff. And then like Tepe handles a lot of the, the technical stuff. Like he'll like contact people and be like, Oh, like what, if we're doing a room this size, how should we do stuff? And sense. then like, yeah. I don't know. Um, 
I mean, the, Riley and, and Dustin both do a lot of stuff too. Like Riley's doing a lot of merch kind of stuff like for, on his own. And then Dustin's like, we're usually like a super good liaison between like management and, and all that, like cool. just making stuff happen. Whereas like, yeah, the other of us can get bogged down in some option paralysis. Yeah. It's always another thing that I find beautiful is when bands have everybody kind of naturally settle into their roles and doing what they do, you know, because you know how confusing it can get with information when you don't have per se one person per se, like that's like the point for management that can just, when you're standing in the room practicing or writing can just like verbally just be like, Oh yeah. So I talked to so-and-so and and this and this and this happens and everybody just gets caught up, you know? Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. Because we know the strain where four people, uh, messaging the day-to-day guy or the manager themselves about the same question and things are oh changing. It gets so confused, right? Like we've all been there yeah. as musicians. It's interesting. Cause I actually worked on the management side of right. stuff for a bit. Like when, when thrice was on hiatus, um, I ended up going through a couple of jobs. I did some woodworking stuff and then wasn't really making money. And then, um, I had a friend that was leaving a job at a management firm and I ended up filling her role. Um, and it like clued me into a lot of stuff that I was like, Oh dang, I'm like that guy in the band. (laughs) And I, you know, it's funny is like, I'm still that guy. Like I, I don't like email, like I'll do it, but I'd way rather talk on the phone. Same. Yeah. But like if I'm day to day manager, dude, trying to like get some stuff done. Like I can't be on the phone all day. Like I need to email people and, and start working on another thing and then yeah, get something so, to come back. And like, you're so right. I'm so bad at, but I hate, like I hate email because it's, it almost seems like I have the same anxieties that I have about like Twitter with it uh-huh. where I'm like, I can respond but do I really want to respond like that? <laughs> like, so I like, he- I always hesitate on my first response and then I come back and, and then I'm like, Oh shoot. This, yeah. per- this person answered that. Uh, do I want your, uh, oh or- my God. yeah. Yeah. That's why you and me, I think are relate to each other so well because I have those same anxieties where I'm also like in emails where there's multiple pieces of information. Yeah. I'm like, they just answered four questions in one short paragraph. Like, how do I know what they're responding to? I think exactly the same way you do. Whereas when you can call them, the tone of voice, the flow of the dialogue, you can obviously know, you know what I mean? It's like you wrote in the email. Yes, for sure. Did you mean yes for sure? This question or that question? Totally. You know? Yeah. But what you're saying makes so much sense um, about being on the other side of that because yeah, I've had, I guess you saying that makes me realize better now. I'm like, oh yeah, mm-hmm. oh yeah. They they have other artists they're managing. Oh my gosh, dude. <laughs> the thing that tripped me out about it the most was like the um, the um, like if if you're a manager that has like multiple bands, there are things that happen all day all day. that need to have that need to turn around immediately. So you're always in a space where you're kind of putting somebody aside for another thing, which is 
I mean, at least that was like, I mean, maybe if yeah. you have a bunch of people working at a group, but it's like, no, I feel that so-and-so, uh, so-and-so's van broke down or whatever. Totally. And then, uh, so-and-so's lawyer called and right. whatever. And it's like, well, shoot, like I can tell the person to call this other person for the van and then talk to the lawyer, but I can't really like yeah. do the van thing right now. And they have a couple hours. So it's like, totally. It, it, I can't, I, I mean, there's some people that thrive off of that, but I was like, I had a, I had a rough, <laughs> I had a rough one with it. Yeah. I mean, I, I see that as a common theme in especially the American form of capitalism mm -hmm. that I see it. You see contractors that take on too many jobs. Oh. You see, right? You see, they have to yeah, because dentists, they have to make right. a ridiculous amount of money to even well, keep afloat. Exactly what I'm saying, which yeah. is it's the commonplace for everybody to have this volume that's a little bit more than they can handle mm -hmm. just to have that flow. And it's definitely true in the entertainment industry with everybody that represents us, yeah. whether it's business managers, uh, you know, booking yeah. agencies. And there are those gems out there. There's those people that prioritize. They know who their big earners are or they purposely keep their client list small. You know, we're very lucky, our exes, to be with someone like Dave Shapiro who's as big and as much work as he does. He's always been able to, like really manage that beautifully. Yeah. I give him so much credit for that. Like, you know, um, but yeah, like I was saying, and then you have management that has, has to have this many bands. Cause if that band approaches them and they know how much they earn, they're just not going to say no, they're going to yeah, make yeah. it work. Right. Even if it's just like breaking everybody around sure. to make it happen, you know? Yeah. And it's like, you see Amazon doing it, you see boutique startups doing it, yep. you know, it's just like, it kind of sucks. Yeah. I mean, I think so many things would have to change to make that like for sure not the normal. Oh yeah. I mean, everything from like property prices to like Oh yeah, that's health, like a... to healthcare would like affect like if you had if like things didn't cost so much because and the things cost so much because people are trying to maximize profit for sure as soon as you're maximizing profit you're pinching everybody as soon as everybody's pinched they're like yeah it's what and what current. we're doing is analyzing the thing i was talking about and the thing we were talking about what we're doing is analyzing this not at the tip of the dreadlock when there's like a whole seven inches of dreadlock before that yeah just of just the bleach part yeah. just the frayed tip yeah. you know that <laughs> might get hot on or something <laughs> uh, uh man um what management company was that uh well the management company that i worked for that you worked that you did that uh, it's uh, called stint. relentless artist management cool. we did like plague vendor and social distortion and we we're doing like a couple, like we were like helping out the vandals and SoCal rock bands. Yeah. But we all, I mean, we, there was also hot, hot heat, which was, wasn't really functioning at the time, but there'd be things that would come in, like legal things that would come in. Aren't they Canadian? Yeah. Oh, okay. Cool. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to remember. Oh, Johnny Two Bags, who's the guitar player for Social Distortion at a solo project that was, we were working that a bunch when I was there. Interesting. But 
Plague Vendor was like kind of like the big Johnny Two Bags and Plague Vendor was a big thing when I when I was there for the time that I was there because um, Plague Vendor was just starting out or just kind of like not just starting out but they were like just starting to get management and getting tours and doing that stuff and then Johnny Two Bags had a record that came out. I like that you're another person that has this complete view of your our universe like this musical world mm-hmm. from both sides like you've you've talked about being uh in the management side having to juggle all these things but mm-hmm. you still get to go back to the guy who you know for the most part wakes up on the bus on tour goes into sound check mm-hmm. does the thing puts your bass down at the end of the show goes and chills i know that's not it i know you're definitely the type of band that works too yeah because you guys are like that type of band but um i guess that's just another thing that i have a lot of respect for you for for any of those people that aren't super like i mean i don't know if people know this but when people like to throw the term rock star at us musicians all the time (laughs) but just in case you didn't know like in, amongst us ourselves it's one of the largest insults you oh, can sure. hurl at somebody and the reason i said that is because it's just nice that you're not one of those rock stars and yeah. i know like people on the outside are always like well you're just a rock star and they think it's like some sort of innocuous comment and we have to know that they're in context and the context they're saying it they yeah, don't mean it that yeah. way but there's always part of it that makes all of us cringe because we're just like when we call each other rock stars it's a huge, huge diss. <laughs> no, for sure. It's like, I feel like the rock star thing kind of died in our era. I mean, there are still people that were, that had the attitude. Oh yeah. But the attitude chills hard still. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, it might have, I mean, it might have flipped back again. I don't know what young bands are like now necessarily. I don't think they have like the bed to grow into rock stars as much. Yeah. You know? But I, I guess what I'm saying is I think like the attitude when we were starting, it was like, it felt super weird. Like, like to promote yourself ever. Like that was like yeah. super lame, like the lamest thing. But now with like social media, it's like expected. We actually, speaking of management, like our manager's the best dude. His name's Ken O'Leary. Um, he, him and uh, our booking agent are like, dude, why aren't you guys like posting stuff? Like, <laughs> right. And we're like, but I just don't do that. It would seem like dis- like it would seem disingenuous or whatever but it they're like well you need people to know and that's what people are looking at their phones like you're looking at your phone all the time like you need to do like so there's this weird struggle where you're you're like yes i need to do this and that's part of the work now but i'm still connected this old thing where like self-promotion is like the lamest thing ever right i'm with you um i feel exactly the same way and i think that's the default mode of that side of the business because what else can they tell you to do because as the technology and internet rose and there's less personal context that you can call on to be like give me that full page ad or whatever yeah they're rendered more powerless sure and that's proven by the fact that they're like you need to post on this schedule but you know what from the outside just looking at you as my good friend ed 
you don't really need to post because you guys have singles on the radio across the country and you sell out all your shows. Do you really need to fucking post? Uh, I mean, I think whoever's doing it, whatever people have vested interested in vested interest in the band yeah. and the releases and the tours will handle that. Yeah, I, I think there's I think there's a yes and no to that. Like I agreed. Like I think I need to, but it's really I I will say it's really hard for me to. It's hard for me to post like anything about myself. It's I know. not ju- it's not just like band stuff. I mean, there is something that's like weird about like self promotion y kind of stuff for me specifically, but like um same. I'm I'm trying to reckon with that myself yeah. and I'm trying to go from posting five or six times a year and then having a burst while I'm on tour because I feel like there's something that sure. people would actually want to see Yeah, and to push myself because I'm totally from the school you're from, Yeah, which is let the stuff speak for itself. Let the people who are going to advertise it, advertise it. I don't like to self promote, mm-hmm. but I also have this thought where I'm like, yeah, but in a way, that places this self-importance on myself too by saying that, you know, and there's this part of being humble and going, I don't matter. I'm insignificant. So I might as well just post whatever. A hundred percent. I've actually been like struggling with that with like, I struggle with that so hard. Like, yeah. Like there's this weird, like reverse ego thing that my brain's been, or I've had like a conversation with my lady about it. Um, not it specifically, but just like the idea that like putting yourself out there, there is like an ego element to that, but also like, I mean, what you're saying, not putting yourself out there is also an ego thing. So (laughs) it's like, where are you? What is like the balance where you're not like, I'm too cool to put stuff out. Right. Or I'm too cool to not put stuff out. You know, know, it's like. Or I don't know what I'm saying, but yeah, it's... No, I know what you're saying, and this is what it's like to be neurotic and insecure like you and people like you and I are. I mean, not completely, but have that side of us. I have a question. Can you... Do you have a trouble finishing stuff? Oh, my God. <laughs> I mean, you and me have discussed this before while we're skating and stuff. Yeah, but, sure. Oh, my God. I mean, so in my last episode with Matt from our band, Mm -hmm. I was discussing this briefly about, you know, getting into this hypercritical thing is common. Mm -hmm. It's not exclusive to you or me. A lot of people go through it, right? I just feel like I get in this really tight negative feedback loop with myself because it's like multi-staged. It's not only like, that's not that good. It's you've done stuff that sounds like that before. Mm-hmm. Are you really giving this your effort? Blah, blah, blah. And this all happens over the course of the whole day. Yeah. You sleep on it and I listen to what I did and 50% of it goes away. Mm-hmm. It's actually 50% better than I thought it was. Right. Yeah. And that is one of the many things that keeps me from finishing stuff. Yeah. I mean, so. Yeah. I. Yeah. I, I struggle with the, uh, like an, the option paralysis and the way that, I mean, I'm sure it's the way everybody's brain works. I, I don't know. I just like cannot stop thinking of variations of a part. I couldn't relate to that more. And there's, there's a point also when you, 
hit a certain amount of variations that you lose perspective on what one feels good without the perspective of all the variations. Right. So you're like, damn it. Like exactly. A, a lot of the time what I do is I try to just imagine like what it would sound like at a show. Like those, those are the, right. Those you, are the big perspective, like shit, like shifts that I have to like push to myself. Cause I can be like, Oh, like I'm playing these notes or there's this like timing or I can like articulate the certain thing, the certain way. Mm-hmm. Will anybody hear that? If they do, how can I bring right. that out? Yeah. I think that's a great setting. And I think it's good for us musicians to have multiple settings where we think like that. Yeah. So I also think like, just like you, I think about how it would translate live. Mm-hmm. Then I think about headphones, mm. how will it be in headphones? I not only as the parts I'm writing, but when I'm on the other side of the desk, like mixing, yeah. recording, I think about that a lot actually these days, because I think it's just, obviously it's super relevant these days. It may not have been in 1960 as much, but sure. you know, and then I have the ones, the two other settings that I'm thinking about more in mixing and recording than I am in writing, which is how is this going to sound in crappy speakers? Because <laughs> the, the fact of the matter is, is that so many people are going to listen to this on crappy speakers and that needs to be accounted for in the mix and tones. Yep. How is this going to sound in a car with all kinds of noise? The system is scooped. It's got no mid range. The yeah. bass is kicked up like 15 DB, <laughs> the 11 K on the high ends kicked up like 10 DB. Yeah. And what's it? And it's like, I hate considering those things, but I have to, you know? Yeah. And then there's also the, uh, the option that everybody hears the same thing differently, even, even within the band. That's another thing that I've been tripping out about, like in the past, like since we got back together, cause there are like certain elements of bands that I really, really like. And I, I don't really know how to translate it. I always like describe it as like, like a visceral type of expression or whatever. Right. But like I'm the like, visceral expression in yourself, your response to it, you mean? No, 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 no. Like the way something is played has Oh, the way it. they're playing it. The other is playing it. Yeah. Or gotcha. if, if I was, if I was playing it, how I would want it to be represented. Um, and like, I'm like, Oh, like, like, how do we do this? Like there's certain bands that do it really well. And in the past, I think we didn't do it well trying to like inject this into our music. And then when I hear it from other people's ears, they're like, Oh, that just sounds noisy or sloppy (laughs) or like, uh, not tight. Like, but it's like, I don't know. Like, I mean, whatever it is, there's an element in, in mellow music and heavy music or whatever, where people are kind of just like losing their shit. But right. it's like, how do you translate that? Cause that's a feeling that I have a lot, like, especially live. Like I just like want to move, you know? Yeah. How can I record that and, and make other people want to do that yeah. too? I love that you're saying that, but there's a fair amount of people that listen to music that have never had that feeling in their life, even with the music that I think does that for me. So it's like, I think that more people than we may think have that feeling. Sure. I think they just have it in 
from weird different types of music that we just can't relate to. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. But I, I I trip out about like how the same piece of music can be listened to. Yeah. In so many different ways. Like what people It is. It's a gain. trip because people think hearing is hearing and hearing in a basic objective sense is hearing like you feel something and you see something but actually when you're talking about hearing in music it's more about uh the perception Mm -hmm. than hearing and yeah you know if that makes sense like hearing is a bare minimum but how does the brain process what it's hearing that's the difference between somebody who gets hairs on the back of their neck from hearing a daddy yankee song on the radio or somebody who gets hair standing up on the back of their neck because they hear a certain frequency or something EQ'd that perfect way that they love. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And that's not the ear. I think that's the brain. Sure. And a lot of that has to do with what you've, what the listener has experienced in the past. Like, right. Yeah. Like if something is normalized to them, something that won't sound as exciting, you know, like, right. Right. So another thing is like, kind of going back to what I was saying is like, I'm always trying to like relate this thing. And then I consider how other people might not be thinking about it, but I'm really not really caring what, what they (laughs) think. You're just, I just want to do it for me. Yeah. And I hope that whoever listens to it experiences the same thing, the same feelings that I do. Yeah. I, I love that you said that because that sort of, uh, the tingly, hairs on your arms and neck standing up feeling Mm -hmm. is what I would get listening to my favorite records when I was younger. And that's definitely consciously something I've thought about for years and have like verbalized that I also try to capture that in parts that I write, Mm -hmm. you know, for songs, which is like, I love that feeling. And there's people who go through all the emotions and there's people specifically trying to focus on making people feel sad in a calming way or, you know what I mean? Or just completely juiced up, like completely amped up, you know? Yeah. Um, But specifically that, I I would guess the closest word I can think of is like awe. Yeah. Or uh, I don't know what other words there are. I'm a shitty thesaurus, but ah, you know what I mean? Of just being like totally moved. And I, I, now that I'm saying it, I guess it seems like that's a bit, it's pretty ambitious to go for because what we're going for is that feeling of somebody catching their first wave or seeing their first, their favorite band for the first time or staring at the Grand Canyon for the first time. Sure, (laughs) sure. But you, I feel like there's a way that you can do that where you're not like, you're not like hunting it. You're like, you right. are like, I've said this before and it's not the most, uh, eloquent way of saying it, but you're kind of like pooing it out. <laughs> like you just, you, you have this stuff inside of you and it comes out naturally. And you have to express it naturally. Uh, uh, like, and that you can listen back to it and you can be like, Oh, that feels good. And then when you play it with other people, you gain another perspective because like all of a sudden you're he- either hearing it through their ears or you're hearing it with their skills and abilities that are added to yours or like yeah. the loudness factor is a huge thing. Yeah. Um, 
I'm all about bowel health. So I, I, I'm down with the analogy, <laughs> but, um, I think that's, I think that's pretty indicative. Mental bowel health. Yeah. Um, if I were to, I guess, try and describe thrice's music, like having seen you a couple times now and stuff like your main a parts, your intros, your breakdowns, I can, it definitely comes through. Right. Yeah. Thank like you. the epic nature, like, you know, the, and there's those bands that capture it. They're the well, well-known ones. Like, you know, a lot of Deftones riffs. Sure. Um, if you're into deeper, like hum really yeah. capture that a lot, yeah. you know? And, uh, also a little deeper is like bands like far, you know, mm-hmm. um, fireside from Scandinavia. Yeah. They really captured this stuff, you know, yeah. and even uh, built to spill a lot of the times, oh. like these gigantic guitar landscapes. And I think it's super cool because to be honest, like I hear all that in Thrice, you know what I mean? I hear all that in those parts and thank you. I mean, it's dope. It's like really when music goes beyond sound and it actually conjures visuals um, that's something that I always try to do in my music and with RX, which is writing with that motivation of creating that feeling of awe, but also creating visuals. And yeah, I definitely yeah. get the very, very much the same feeling from, uh, Thrice's music. And it didn't really hit me actually until I saw you live hmm. until I, because like the first time I had actually seen you guys is when we played hoodwink that cover show the night before bamboozle started and so you weren't in the band when we played with newfound glory i was you were yeah but we didn't hang out with each other i remember we were in back of house of blues las vegas and we had already finished loading because we played before you guys and you guys loaded and you and tepe were like skating around in the part in the loading bay down there and i was like oh those cool cool those guys skate like I skate too. Like I want to talk to them and stuff, but you know how it was. Yeah, like we yeah, were yeah. all young. It was super fucking weird. And I mean, that was 2001. That was the prime of that kind of stuff and shows and that falsified sense of importance, like being blown up around that stuff. So yeah. we all had this pretense or at least we did in our band. We were like, you know, we don't have a reason to hate these guys, but who is that guy? Who are those guys? You know what I mean? Like we were just like little shits. That's so funny. We always, I mean, I feel like we always felt like we, we were like playing catch up. Cause like playing with you guys, like technically like, I feel like everybody was so much more efficient with what they do. And we were kind of just like, like, trying to keep up kind of a thing that's crazy to hear you say that now oh my like gosh. Tw- you know 18 years later 20 I mean, it, it because might, oh yeah. sorry no i was just gonna to say no no i was just gonna say real quick i, I want to let you finish but it's just crazy to think because you guys always were like the hype band I, I in mean, socal it was just like thrice 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 you know i i mean there might be some context that shifted our view of I mean, I don't know if we would ever be like, yeah, we were the, we did this, but like, that's why you guys are rad is because you guys never rested on that fake bullshit. You guys were always like, well, we want to be a good band and we want to get better as musicians and it's shows. Yeah. <laughs> Look at where you are now, you know? I, uh, but 
I mean, what happened was we started, we were like, oh, like, we like, like, skate punk kind of stuff, like Uh Bad Religion, like. For sure. Do you remember Donuts and Glory? I don't know if. (laughs) Yeah, I do. Donuts and Glory. Of course. um, But then we were also like way into like Metallica and Iron Maiden. Liberation Liberation Records. Records. Hell yeah. Um, And uh, so we made our first EP and we were like, okay, like here like Tepe is good at guitar. He can play like all these riffs and well, you like, know, those Asians on guitar. Yeah. yeah right. Right. Well, how, yeah. They're, um, they're soulless. They're just like computers. They just analyze and play. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Dude. Uh, <laughs> I disagree, but I also agree that you guys are both really talented. I, so. I do too. I'm just kind of making fun of that perception oh that's constantly projected sure. on people like Tepe and I. Yeah. And the fact that people, especially in middle America always get us confused anyway. (laughs) Uh, Um, Oh, but what I was saying was like, we started and we were like, okay, like, yeah, we're hyped on these songs. And then we like kind of gained the perspective from other people by playing shows. So we'd play like a hardcore show and be like, oh, these guys are like singing (laughs) and they're like, it's like punk. Then we play with a punk band and we'd have like, like breakdowns and like kind of screaming right. parts and they'd be like, what these guys are like, d- like hardcore dorks or whatever. And it, it's weird because at that time there was a scene where that was mixed, which was like the, like saves the day, like kind of more like youth crew kind of hardcore right. stuff. But then like we were at the time we were into bands like grade and mm-hmm. like saves the day and boy sets fire. And the, there, there were bands that were doing it. cave in, um, yeah, like when Kevin uh, did Jupiter, Jupiter, that and was they our, just our f- had that huge departure, right? Dude, yeah, our first full U.S. tour, our first full U.S. tour was supposed to be with Sam I Am, but then it ended up being like a partial tour, which is just because a bunch of the dates got canceled or something like that. But our first full tour was uh, uh, Take Action, Plea for Peace, and that was with Kevin. Yeah, and Hot. Grade wasn't on that. Weren't no, 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 oh, no. Okay. It was Caven, Hot Water Music, Alkaline Trio, but then it ended up being Alkaline Trio Acoustic for half of the tour. Yeah, I remember this now. Yep. Um, how, did I say Hot Water Music? No, but I think... Hot Water were. Music, like Selby Tigers, Eyeliners. It was like a bunch of, ba- bunch of bands. Sick. Um, but just that intro and then being like okay there's all these bands doing all these things and we can like kind of glean from everything that was like if we didn't have that tour i don't know what our band would be like now because it was like the ability to tour with in in like almost like a warp tour context where you're touring with like miniature right a yeah. small it was like a small warp tour it was like but a so bunch diverse, of different types of bands right? yeah and uh And all of it worked in a way like people are pumped on the shows and, and everybody got along and it was just like, I don't know, there's so much to learn from that. It was pivotal, right? Yeah. Going back again to what I was saying though, is like, it was interesting though, because we were always like the band that didn't really have an identity. So if like we played a hardcore show, we weren't heavy enough. If we played a melodic show, we weren't melodic enough. And we were kind of like pushed into these two directions that's how you get actually some longevity though is if you don't suck 
I can relate to that. Yeah, I feel like RX kind of oh, had RX a RX didn't thing. fit in anywhere. It, yeah. Ever. You'd be like, ska even, band, but then you're not a ska band. Yeah. Like, what? And then even, we didn't even fit in with the bands that we took on tour to support us. Sure, you know? they, yeah. <laughs> so I understand that. And I think that, I mean, the long and short of it is it just creates a stronger brand, sure. stronger identity. And it's like, I think it's something that people don't realize, but is one of the main things that makes them stick with a band for a while. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And as a band member, it's like a hard position to be in, but it's also like the best possible position to be in. Cause if you're right. like, totally, if you're a type of band in a type of scene, like you only have so much leeway to express yourself. You like do the thing. You guys got as far as a band pretty much can in that vein on your own. I think like bands sure. like you and Circa that, I mean, there's a lot of other bands that I'm not referencing. I'm just yeah. talking about you guys cause you guys are my friends and stuff like that. So, sure. but, um, it's amazing to, honestly, it's, it's a super impressive to see like you guys can go everywhere and play huge shows. Like I said, yeah. and you are not like a major label band anymore that, it has all this like structure behind it and yeah. you have, you know, I mean, you're a big band. So. It's all a mystery to me. Like, like it is I'm, to everybody. We're, yeah. Working hard and put your head down. And, um, it's and true. fortunately there are people that, that support it, but like, I mean, who knows, you know, this next record we put out, people could be like, I, I, I like they, it. You know, I think I like how strong you guys are right now. I, I dude, if I'm in Southern California <laughs> and I see a dude wearing a flannel shirt, jeans, vans, maybe some thick rim glasses, got a good hairstyle. I'm like 99% <laughs> chance that guy likes thrice. That's funny. I, I used to call the, the plaid flannel shirt tour camo. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm not talking shit. I have probably nine or 10 Pendletons sure, sure, in yeah. my, in my closet, you That's, know, I'm about it, but, yeah. um, you know, actually you're also talking about that after seeing thrice, like you're probably one of my favorite, if not bass player, uh, if not bass players, just like people to watch on stage yeah. rocking out. And I know you're like, you're like me where rocking out is such a funny, ridiculous thing by nature, sure. but we're compelled to do it and we're not contrived. So when people compliment it, it makes us feel so awkward and embarrassed, it's, right? It's weird. It's almost, see, this is why. And I love how you look, bro. When you're on stage, <laughs> it's, <laughs> you're so powerful. <laughs> Honestly though, in sincerity, uh, I, I do love it. And I totally relate to Thanks. you, what you were saying earlier about when you're on stage, you just want to move. Yeah. You know, you're not thinking about how you look just like I'm not, you know, sometimes, sometimes I get there well, and it'll ruin a show, but <laughs> I mean, I've been there too. Yeah. I get it. Yeah. You get the wrong look from the, you lock eyes with the wrong person in the crowd or see the wrong sure, thing. And, my yeah. hair is a giant Afro and I'm like, do I look like an idiot? Why do I care? It looks amazing. I this mean, this is the thing. This is the thing. Somewhere down the line, I figured out how 
to shut everything out and just be the kid in your room listening to yes. your, your band. Exactly. And I, I cherish that. It's so weird that people can actually see me though, which is fucking, it's just, it make it makes my brain explode when I'm like, when I make the connection that people are actually yeah. like watching yeah. or whatever. Um, when you're on stage at a sold out shrine, there's a few people watching you, bro. Yeah. Maybe not. I feel like a lot of people watch the singer most of the time. That's where I, I mean, no, actually I can tell you being an outsider that you're one of the main things to watch. <laughs> of course there's that whole lead singer thing and there's the people that just stare at the drummer yeah. and there's people that whatever. But if you're not, focused in on one thing and like you're just like your friend or somebody watching the show like me i'm just like oh yeah there it is you know <laughs> now i'm gonna be uncomfortable at my next show no, i'm just kidding <laughs> i just Dude, when uh, is that gonna be i don't know bro i mean who knows yep. probably 2022 at the soonest that's what i'm hearing now so. i mean at least comfortably yeah i would say yeah i mean i and i think that for bands like us and you and upwards like it's going to be longer i think there's probably going to be like 100 cap 200 cap shows happening sure sooner than large large gatherings but um i also don't doubt the ferocious greedy nature of capitalism and them racing right now like an arms race to find a solution sure for no other reason other than profit dude we're just i mean we kind of put it off for a bit we're but I mean, they're projecting like when shows can happen. It'd be like summer 21, fall 21. Like, yeah, but we people know. like you and I feel comfortable going out next summer in these closed spaces with yeah. 2000 people. Like I'm not personally. I so. mean, yeah. And if like your show ended up being like exactly. some show where a bunch of people all of a sudden got COVID, you'd be like, Fuck. And you, you never know. How, like, that's the scary thing about this virus is, you know, you don't know who it affects because there are the people there immediately, but you don't know how many of them have grandparents or that work in a service industry where they're, right. you know, where they're taken out of a job. And because they're taken out of that job, now the business doesn't function correctly. And it's like it has this like exponential effect that you, people yeah. don't think about because it, it takes a few steps to think about you know you're exercising something that's not really rewarded in america right no, now which sure. is compassion bro yeah. that was so much compassion right there but <laughs> unfortunately we're surrounded by people that are like hasn't affected me not a problem yeah <laughs> so uh, dude anyway i mean i do this other um type of episode on the podcast it's called musicians digest and i just did my first one yesterday and it mm -hmm. was me just basically talking about how much i miss tour now and basically what a bitch i am now because <laughs> now that i've had it taken away i realize all the time i spent on tour not really appreciating it and being grateful mm -hmm. and i know that um maybe people haven't done it to the degree that the degree that i have just because in the past i often looked at touring as like this thing that you have to do as a musician that I liked, but didn't like as much as creating music itself. Mm. 
but now my feelings have changed, you know? And, Mm. um, I don't know. Have you ever been there where you've gone a stretch of shows, maybe even a whole tour where, you know, now that I'm grateful, I get up on stage and I can be like, dude, this is amazing. Look at all these people here that went through all this effort to come and see us and stuff. But I went through so much time where I was just numb to that. I was just like, yep, here's some people. Yeah. Here's me doing this. Yeah. Yeah. I don't like it when you try and, uh, get on stage, please don't do that. You know, I'm just yeah, like yeah, totally yeah. numb, you know? I think, uh, the hay, the hiatus thing that we did actually, um, knocked it out of you. It did. I mean, it was really hard, but it did some good for all of us, I think. And some of uh, all of us in different ways. Um, for me, like I remember getting, cause we did like a farewell tour, uh-huh. uh, like a, cause we, I mean, I thought we were done. Like, I mean, people were taking other jobs, like things were happening and I was just like, well, shoot. Yeah. Like, like that is, that is the hardest thing to maintain in a band is everybody that is committed to the level where you're actually going to spend time doing stuff and it becomes a priority over almost everything in your life, if not everything in your life, you know, that's a huge, huge commitment. Yep. Um, that being said though, they, we would get questions like on this farewell tour. It was like, if there's one thing that you would change, what would you do? People were asking you that you're like one thing that you wish you would have done when you, throughout the years playing like you what mean like you talking do? to fans or online or what interview oh interview interviews yeah those damn interviewers <laughs> but it was a good it was an interesting question because it could have been like oh i wish i would have gone to wherever but i was like that's probably what they were expecting <laughs> literally my like instantly in my head i think the first because we got it a couple times but it became like a personal meme or whatever like yeah was i wish I wish I didn't stress out so much and I wish I enjoyed it more. Like there's, there's a level, like when I was in Europe, like I'd be like, Oh, I don't know the language here. Like I'm, I'm not gonna, I don't want to like do that thing. Uh, like, like similar to like an option paralysis, anxiety kind of thing. I just didn't like let things come at me and enjoy it. I like kind of like guarded up and like, play shows and I get really frustrated if I messed up this one part and like, like all, all that kind of stuff. And yeah, when our world becomes very small, even on tour. Yeah. But since we come back and actually that last tour was, or the farewell tour, not the last tour. Um, those things like shifted in my brain and like, I, I, I made an effort, like almost like a mantra to like laugh at mistakes, unless it was like something that kept happening over and over again, which is like super frustrating. Your hand just like stops working. But then also understanding that night, much like skateboarding or anything, like there are days when you step on that skateboard and the thing isn't happening. So don't, don't treat it like it's the thing forever. It's just, it's that day, you know? Yeah. And that ha- like there are some parts where like it'll drop out. It's just me. Yeah. And I my hand just like get like freezes up or whatever and I'm like, "Uh, I can go. This is what I do in my brain." I'm like 
I freak out. So it gets worse. But then I'm also like thinking like, Oh, the, like we're in Barcelona or something. These people had this one chance to see us and they screwed up this one chance and we're not going to be back here for who knows two years. Totally. Maybe not. Maybe this is the only time this person ever going to see us. And I just like ruined this like kind of epic moment in a song or whatever. Maybe not. I don't know. But like, and then I can, that can carry over like weeks in a tour if you let it. Yeah. But it, it totally happens. I had, Luckily, I haven't had too much of an issue, but I did have a problem one year of touring when we were heavy in tour cycles. And they have we have this one song called Decrescendo, and mm-hmm. in the bridge, it breaks down to this part where it's just me by myself, mm-hmm. nothing else playing guitar for like eight measures yeah. before Matt's guitar comes in. And I went through this phase where I got in my head, I messed it up once, I kept messing it up. Yeah, I kept messing it up, and I would be audibly yelling, fuck like on stage yeah like super loud sometimes where other mics would pick it up <laughs> it got to the point where we ended that tour at coachella playing coachella yeah and i didn't do it the worst i had done it but i did it on stage at coachella too and i was just like you're gonna either stew over this for four weeks or you need to just get over it yep. and stop thinking about it it's just like skating too where you're yeah where's my foot flicking? Like, where's my back foot? Is it in the pocket? Is it too out on the tail? Yeah. And you just, you're overanalyzing. You can't land it. Yep. You step away either the next day, hour later, or you're doing some other stuff and you don't think about it. Boom. First try you land it. Right. I think it's exactly the same. Dude, the brain. It's weird, but I mean, yeah. I, I take the time to try to, or I, I make the effort to try and enjoy things, even if it's meeting people also is a huge thing that like, I really want to shift to like, Me like too. I was like, I, this is another thing. Damn it. I'm going to bring it up cause I can. Um, I had a, I had a pretty healthy stint of being like a heavy gamer. Uh, no thanks to Are some of the my, my chem dudes <laughs> and uh also mark from atreyu um oh, yes. porter yeah oh yeah porter uh, yeah I porter still call him mark all the time if you're listening to this porter i'm gonna yeah. ask you about this same thing oh my gosh he actually ruined me maybe the worst because he introduced me to like this this, this certain element of the game that like i was like oh eddie's putting all of this on you yeah, man. i know um, but I also have like a personality where like, if I'm, if I have something that I can obsess over, I like go bananas and there's something about for sure the game that we were playing that was the world of Warcraft, world of Warcraft, whatever. I um, love it. Yeah. I played that like a ton for, I don't even know how many years, like from like 2005, six to 11. I don't know. <laughs> I remember you telling me about this. But dude, it was it, some of them like met a lot of rad people like internet meet but met them at shows and like had awesome times playing but like i could have spent so much more time being in the real world which is stuff that uh i have regrets about just because like we would be on tour and everybody would go out and i I didn't drink at the time like I i didn't drink until i was like 29 um, so 2009, uh-huh. um, 
they'd go out and I'd be like, oh, I'm not going to do that. I'll just game, play it on the worst internet ever somewhere, you know, just You're get in the back lounge of the bus. It's playing like, Warcraft. what is that? Like going on tour, being in another town and just sitting on a computer. That's like, uh, I wasted like some, some good time. I, I mean, I, I did the same. wasn't all my time, but it was like, yeah. I wasn't Dude. gaming, but I might as well have been because the point is, is that we were in a different city and I was really fostering my social anxieties and my antisocial oh, sure. tendencies because of it. Right. Yeah. So I think you and me were also the same where we're the guys that as soon as the dressing room got crowded, we're out. Yeah. As soon as we're off stage and do what we have to do, we're on the bus. Yeah. We're not really hanging around outside sure. like, talking to people. If they catch us, they catch us. Yeah. If they don't, then... I'm up there and yeah, I, I feel you on that, bro. Yeah. I yeah. wish I was skateboarding Yeah, all over, you know, yeah. which is another thing. Like don't want to get hurt on tour, but you got to take it easy on tour. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I prefer the bicycle. That's why in the past 10 years, like bringing my bike on tour. Well, when we're traveling by ground is yeah. like my move, Sure, you know? And like, I've been able to develop specific bike rides that i love oh, in certain yeah. cities which is awesome you know what i mean that's so great yeah it's really cool like san antonio you end up playing the white rabbit which mm -hmm. doesn't matter what size band you are like there's a good chance unless you're an arena band you're gonna end up playing the white rabbit yeah there's that whole bike ride that we'll do after the show at night that goes along the whole river all the way into the river walk downtown to the main area Whoa. and it became like a habit it's super awesome that's so rad and it's awesome to see you recently on tour and you're just hitting up all the sickest skate parks yeah. <laughs> you're getting wallies on uh freeway barriers i've seen you oh yeah you posted a good clip of real some really solid smith grinds smith 180 out on the ledge oh yeah mm -hmm. there you go i mean yeah skateboarding was a huge part of my life um eddie's got good smith grinds <laughs> uh, up i mean i met tepe through skateboarding our guitar player tepe for those of you who don't know um and then he was friends with dustin who's our singer and that's just how the band started we were we had similar taste in music and just started talking about it how did you uh get riley in the band then He's just like the it's older brother that's like, what are you little goobers doing? All right, I'll play. Well, yeah, well, he's five years older. Um, and we were kind of in a position where there wasn't, you know, there's not a lot of drummers around. Um, and I was like, well, my brother plays drums. He would, like, I'll ask him if he wants to play with us until we find a, a drummer our age or whatever. <laughs> um, and we started working on music and writing um, and, uh, it just, it just worked and it never, there was never really a situation after those initial like get togethers where we're like, well, we're still looking. It just, it just shut that down kind of at that point. Um, yeah. And it's been awesome. It was super awkward though. First, our first shows, because he was like, we were high high school, finishing up high school age, and he was like finishing up college age, and we'd be <laughs> playing like house parties, but they would be like our groups of friends, not yeah. his, because that would have been the other way around, would have been 
right awkward in a whole different way but um yeah so we'd be like house party and be, we'd play the show and you'd just be like okay i'm out need bail and it, i mean it worked and then once we started playing venues it it felt a lot better and yeah it's so weird i've actually been um digitizing old hi tapes oh sick from the road yeah from the road like uh we had a buddy that used to sell merch for us that um that gave me a bunch of tapes way back and i still had them um and i found them just with the whole covid thing like a lot spending a lot more time at the house going through stuff cleaning stuff up whatever i was like oh but how much it costs to like capture these digitally and then i looked it up and found the usb capture card thing and just started yeah. digitizing them it's like finding videos of our first shows like so and so's birthday party like playing Sick. in their playing in their uh living room of their house your first time playing chain i i don't have that what it's was gotta the, be somewhere what was the first show that you guys played as a band um where a bigger one where you guys were like, Oh, something's happening. Is it like, was it selling out chain for the first time or, or do you have that? Um, I remember the, the big one for us was, uh, playing house of blues in Anaheim. Yeah. That was a big deal for and us. And we, we booked the show. Like it was before we, I think it was before we had a booking agent or it was right no, I think it was before we had a booking agent. Um, and it was, it was like, well, it'd be cool if we sell like 400 tickets, 500 tickets and it sold it out. selling out. Of course. Because I mean, and, and a lot of it was hype just because it was like the, the local band, they're making this step, everybody bring your friends kind of thing. And it was like, well, it's hard to bring your friends and equal 950 people, which is what the sure. cap at that old house of blues was. So you guys deserve a little more credit than okay, that. Okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but that like, and that, that was a, that was a big moment for us, obviously, but also for our parents. Cause like some of our parents, it was the first time seeing us actually play. Cause before that right. we played at chain, um, uh, or coos cafe. Oh yeah. Coos. The Santa Ana one, not the, right. Not the Long North Beach. Hollywood. Yeah. Yeah. Um, damn that place, the Coos cafe, it was like this old house. Pretty epic. Yeah. It was an old house in Santa Ana, um, where you played in the living room of this house that had been converted into like a community center slash cafe. Like there was like a little yep. coffee yep. thing. Um, and you'd play in the living room and then two walls of the living room had plexiglass like um huge like almost like normally it'd be like a sliding glass door kind of thing uh -huh. but um it wasn't it was just plexiglass so you could watch the show from inside and it'd sound insane and it would be awesome and sweaty or you could watch from outside and like watch behind the drummer right or watch to the side of the guitar player like and sitting on the deck like yeah. if you watch from the side you're sitting on the, the front porch of the house sit, or watching yeah. from the punch you're watching behind the drummer you're like basically in the side yard of this house it was the weirdest setup but 
worst PA. I mean, it was basically like a speaker that they put up on like this little (laughs) like shelf in the top of the room. Like the old chain reaction PA too. Yeah. So, (laughs) so bad. Um, but yeah, I don't know where I was going that, but like some of the most memorable shows of my life still to this day are coups shows like watching botch must have been amazing i did i watched that one from the side yard (laughs) so watching behind the drummer and then uh uh pettibone there the he was do you know him yeah um He's well, like I know the singer of, him. of Himsa. And yeah. Like, yeah. He also worked at El Corazon as like the head of security there for many oh, years. Yeah, yeah, I had yeah. a not so pleasant run in with him there. Uh-oh. One time RX was headlining there, but anyway. <laughs> um, but he used to be, I think he used to sell merch and, and work for them, but he, he actually did their lights at the time. Cool. And that band was a, um, it was a four piece or a, it's like three piece music. So it was bass, guitar, drums, and a singer without a guitar. Um, but, uh, he was doing lights and they were like power strips with lights attached yeah. to them. And he would turn them on just by flipping the switch yeah. on the, the power strip. Um, and if you don't know about, you should check them out. But, uh, they're, yeah, if you like, like, if you like heavy music, it's pretty seminal. It's, yeah. it's pretty important. Yeah. It's mathy and super dynamic and, and heavy and, and awesome. But like the way that they did that with the lights and being able to watch behind the drummer and watch him flip the lights and I don't, I don't know. It's just so good. Yeah. And, um, that was the band that Brian from Russian circles was in Yeah, playing bass for those who may not know. Yeah. Um, both wonderful bands. Yeah. But yeah, I would have. I mean, seeing Botch, I saw them on that tour too in Northern California, but yeah. Dude. I mean, they repped that obviously for more than one tour, but. Sure, sure. Yeah. That band though. Damn. Do you, do you, would you say that they were an influence on your live, like your stage stees live? Do you, if you had to cite people who were influences for you physically, like how they moved? Oh, would you have any? Because for me, I can say that I'm like the baby Bambi version of Guy from Fugazi. Oh, that's so because sick. as a kid, I just idolized how he moved. Yeah. Everything he did. It was the coolest thing to me. Oh, hundred percent. Nobody was cooler, both with the guitar and when they had to play like waiting room or something mm-hmm. without the guitar, I was just like, oh man. Yeah. It's amazing. Fugazi is... I mean, yeah, that band still, I can, I mean, I listen to the record still same, and find new things that I like about it. It's like almost like in a similar way that Radiohead is for me, where there's just like layers that like, as I learn more about music, I appreciate things about it more and more and more and more and yeah, yeah, things that I didn't get or didn't really notice in the past. I don't know. Um, live. I, I don't know if I like actually like, like would ever try to really replicate anybody specifically, but I do notice that touring, I will like find myself 
doing something that somebody that we tour with kind of like, I'm like, Oh, like, yeah, I didn't think about that, but my body just kind of picked up what they did that I thought was cool or I don't, I don't know. Uh It's just like, I don't know. I'm in some weird zone where I don't even know, like, I don't even know what I do. If I watch a video of it, sometimes I'm like, wait, what am I? What am I doing? I did that. I know. Like what? I know. Same. And it's um, funny is that people, it's oftentimes musicians like us will kind of chuckle or scoff or turn our nose at somebody who may be at a festival or something that's just really freely dancing and stuff. Yeah. And my younger shithead self would. And then as I got older, I'm like, I'm doing the exact same thing. Sure. Yeah. And the only illusion is that I think it's more important because people want to watch me do it on stage, but there's literally no difference. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that's, what's kind of beautiful. All pretense aside, if we're just being real human beings, it feels fucking good Mm -hmm. to be able to play your own music and to just move your body to it, how you want to and express whatever jubilation, energy, aggression, whatever you're feeling. Right. Yeah. And I think that when we start to be around our peers that resonate that energy, other bands that we're on tour with and we see them and how they move and we like it and the way it kind of, we steep in it, mm-hmm. I guess, you know, like the way it imparts on us. I think that's cool. I think that's one of the cooler things that humans share, you know, sure. That's not like intentionally spoken or given or something. Yeah, totally. So. I, I will say though, um, it's kind of a combination of two, maybe, I mean, well, cave in. Yeah. Um, Caleb Schofield specifically, like I, I liked so much of what he was doing. Me too that I couldn't help like, you know, I play grabber basses. He, I know, I know, I mean, Brian Cook also played grabber basses, but, um, there was something about like Caleb's tone, how he did it. Um, he had a certain amount of like, like a sto stoicism, yeah. like when he was on stage too, where like He'd play soup. Like, I don't know how he played so tight with like, he was going like, I mean, he had a really melodic movement in that band. Like, um, but then he'd also just like, uh, his body would represent the dynamic of what was happening musically in the band. And like, that was super inspiring. Like I wasn't trying to like, copy his moves but maybe his just like his representation of what the music is doing and how how you yeah how you visual visually represent the music yeah i think there if there was going to be any guideline at all Mm -hmm. and there isn't and there shouldn't be i'm just saying if there was gonna be that would be it sure which is let it represent your version of representing what what's going on with the music sure. because we've all seen those people on stage that it's like a quiet mellow part but they're just still trying to force oh. the rock out do you remember the the guitar player from elliot did you ever see elliot i never actually saw oh, elliot man. but i don't remember the guy's name but he used to go 
bananas in a way that was actually pretty damn cool but he used to go nuts like even when stuff wasn't going nuts yeah and um homie from hot rod circuit was like that too back in yeah yeah like uh we played with them on that same tour too and he'd be doing like splits back bends like just the most far out stuff and it actually worked. I was hundred like, percent kid, kid in his room rocking out to yeah, like that. Yeah, totally. He, but I think if you always, whoever you are, front man, bassist, guitarist, drummer, whatever, if you keep that kid in your room in front of the mirror vibe mm-hmm. going, like you can't really go wrong. Sure. I mean, uh, yeah, you, the joy that you are relating is infectious to those that that appreciate it you know i maybe yeah i mean even if i'm like not super hyped on a band and i see somebody like bobbing their head super hard i can't help but not like kind of like feel that you know agreed um i've been won over by bands that i was sure i was gonna hate (laughs) because you know when you play festivals you're just like well fuck it i might as well go watch them yeah even though i know i'm gonna hate it yeah (laughs) but you're like oh that was pretty cool. The only time that it gets me is when there's like, sometimes it's awesome. Like, for example, like Piebald would do this sometimes, but like a choreographed moment. Yeah. When like Piebald yeah. did it and it was awesome. But like some bands you're like, I don't know. Piebald was great because they always had that tongue in cheek sense of humor about everything they did. Sure. That know? dude, Andy, his bass tone also. They him, were just him, a really tight band. Him and Caleb like chain like agreed touring with them it's like oh mid-range is a thing it's such an important thing oh my gosh it's everything it's everything and it's something that especially in like the transition into the 2000s that style of production where everything is just scooped the mid-range you pull up any multi-band eq on the mix and it's just a giant u a giant Mm -hmm. valley there and you're just like well it's a thing, but yeah. when you listen to productions and mixes like that, it doesn't stand the test of time. It sounds, I don't, I, I'm not really crazy about it, but speaking of Caleb, like the bass tone is so impressive because to hear them in one set play songs from beyond hypothermia, beyond mm-hmm. hypothermia and then play a Jupiter song. Yeah. It's just like that diversity and that range is like, yeah. And both are, excellent yeah and those are just the records that are close to the transition they've gone both both directions like way further than that yeah you yeah know? so yeah yeah i i mean yeah when he when he passed away it was super i mean i didn't i knew him i didn't know him as well as many people but it was really tragic for me because I looked up to him so much and from afar, like I was just afraid to like, I mean, I had his phone number. I wouldn't like call him. Cause I was, I was like almost like kept him in this space, which is probably sucked because I mean, could, I mean, we can't, he's a rad, he's a rad dude. Super funny. Like, yeah. But like, uh, yeah. Like, so much of what he did was super influential on me and especially at that time. And I mean, yeah, it, he needs to be here. We need him still, you know, it's, well, I think maybe by at least you 
reliving your feelings about him and stuff. We're getting about as close as we can, <laughs> I think. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> um, so you guys are in the middle of writing right now? Mm-hmm. Or are you guys just rehearsing or are you specifically? We're, we're writing. Um, we probably would have had a record done by now if um, the pandemic hadn't happened. So this kind of stretched out a timeline. Um, and uh, now, we're, now we're just trying to, we're trying to write the songs. We have a lot of songs and I think a lot of that has to do with you know, the way that the timeline is stretched, like normally we would kind of, uh, limit the ideas down to a certain amount of songs. And we're like, shoot, like what you have we? like over 15, over 20. Yeah. yeah. Over 20. Uh, probably. Yeah. Um, wow. I mean, not all those might be songs that we, right. we use, but it's like, I mean, there are, there are over 20 songs that have like verse, chorus, bridgey kind of things. Not only is it an achievement to keep 20 songs in a in one person's mind for the repertoire, but it's another thing to keep 20 working pieces at various stages of being finished hmm. in the mind. And, you know, we all, we all have our boards, our ways of marking out mm-hmm. how many times it goes so you don't forget. And, you know, I'm still the person that, I see it written on the wall. This verse goes eight times and then the second verse goes 10. It's just got that weird two add on, but yeah. I just space and sure. Yeah, I fuck it up. Oh my gosh. Time, yeah. Um, but that's so much like over 20 songs. Are yeah. you guys, when you guys, um, are doing a writing rehearsal session, um, do you guys spend some time playing through the existing songs before you start focusing no. on one thing? No. Um, you guys like come in with a focus already for the day. Sometimes. I mean, this is the thing about us. We've never really done things the same way consistently. So this is the first record in a while where we're actually getting into a room together and working them out in person. Oh, you guys have done like everybody adding to demos usually from remote. We did that for basically every record since the hiatus. Um, Oh, wow. This is a big shift though, because... I mean, I don't need to tell you that goes from sort of passive communication about it to like direct yeah. communication about everything. Yeah. You know? yeah. I, I, I mean, I love being in the room with people and I missed it super, super bad I when we, it. when, when we were doing more of the file sharing stuff. And a lot of that has to do with, with my anxieties with, um, sharing stuff when when we're in a room together i have a tendency to just like uh kind of act on for good reason though i think it's because when something's recorded and somebody can listen to it first thing when they wake up in the morning or whatever it's under so much more scrutiny where when everybody's ideas are exposed to each other in real time as everybody's having to focus on what they themselves are doing Mm -hmm. I think it personally creates a wonderful pre-filter where everybody's subjective perceptions about things are in a better place. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And there's also like the happy accidents that happen. And also there's like flourishes that happen that that don't exist when you're, 
like I, when you're working on stuff like file sharing type stuff, you can really like hammer out the personal details. But like when, when we're in a room together, um, it happens a lot. So the fact that it hasn't happened in the past couple of records, oop, just kick the table. Um, the, the fact that it hasn't happened the last couple of records is interesting. Um, where some person will present an idea and then somebody will be like, Oh yeah, maybe, uh, you do that. And then you'd be like, well, yes. And, and then you kind of like continue exactly. on with it. Exactly. Like there's like, uh, that type of movement cannot happen through file sharing. If it does, it takes like a month, which no, is a like, lot of that. A lot of that energy you just described is ironed out and hammered out of mm -hmm. that process, which is a totally different sound. Mm -hmm. I thrive off of what you just described. I'm mm -hmm. the person that's like, stop, do that thing you just did again. They're sure. like, it was a mistake. I'm like, well, let's, or if you're down, let's make that mm -hmm. the new way to do it. Mm -hmm. And that, I mean, for lack of a better term, and I hate this term because it's corny as fuck, but that's where the kind of a lot of the magic is. Yeah. Honestly. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. So uh, I'm stoked that you get to feel that and write that because write that way because I yeah. miss that, man. I mean, we kind of just started doing it though. Um, yeah. I mean, we have older parents and relatives and people with like pre-existing conditions and like um it's we we ended up in our rehearsal space we have like these HEPA filters and we air out the room every once in a while and do like all this stuff and it's like it some of it might be overboard but maybe not and just like taking the uh taking the time to to do that um, it's not overboard. I mean, writing already, you have to be primed psychologically. Mm -hmm. And the biggest thing that is at danger aside from people's physical health with this pandemic is the psychological toll. Oh, sure. So I think it's important for people to do whatever they need to do to feel comfortable. Mm -hmm. And if anybody's going to be within that circle of trust where you can get into an enclosed room with each other, it should be your bandmates, yep. you know, because everybody knows that being in a band, a, a real like full-time working, this is how you make your living band is somewhere between uh, siblings and marriage partners. Yeah. Half, it kind of floats in, in the space between that. So mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm stoked to be, to be writing um, in the room together. Although I was going to say though, there are some things that I was like, Oh yeah, that's what's, sucks about it yeah it's like of the time where you're just like waiting or somebody's like working on a guitar tone and you're like is that the time you want to be working on a guitar tone or i like look over at riley who's our drummer and be like oh he just sits and waits for these guitar like all like us to like figure out what we're doing and i'll be like okay what do you what do you like i he's the patient one the drum well i mean just the drummer in general it's got to be like yeah, but he could just dominate and just go, just start playing yeah. a beat. And the fact that he sits and waits, I think shows the strength of character because sure. yeah, it's funny. You wouldn't think that us professional musicians and bands, we get into a room, but you'd be shocked at how much these musicians that you watch and know are in writing sessions or rehearsal sessions with their band. 
and they're waving their arms because somebody's like got their back turned dialing their amp playing at full volume and they're trying to say something yeah, or get yeah. somebody's attention it's yeah. just it's really ridiculous and funny yeah <laughs> so good how's your thumb been though trying to write oh. you hurt your thumb man you I showed did. me that picture of the x-ray and it looks yeah. like you got a really good sized chunk out Chip. of it yeah. um yeah so i do woodworking on the side um it's swollen a little bit i can yeah, see it man. it's quite a bit swollen um uh there's a thing called the thickness planner which is like a like you, you, you've seen people do it. They, you run, it's a power tool and you run pieces of wood through it and it'll take off like a 16th or a 32nd of an inch. And you just, you can make stuff really flat and also shave stuff, shave long boards down. Um, I was, I was working on like a little project and I was running a piece of wood through it. It's probably a little bit too small for what, <laughs> you normally do but i've done it like hundreds of times like this length i think like the minimum length that you're supposed to run through it is like 15 inches and the reason is there's a blade that's spinning around inside it like a or it's like a bunch of blades on on like a rolling pin almost kind of thing um and then there are two rolling pins on either side of that that feed they guide it through somehow when i was putting this piece of wood through i missed one of those rolling pins, which would kind of like lock it in place. Oh, right. Like it probably wasn't down far enough. Makes sense. And I went straight into the blade and it caught and launched it back out at me going, I don't even know how long, but but I was guiding it through with both of my thumbs, like from the back of the piece of wood. And, uh, I mean, it happens so fast that you're, you're like, is my thumb still there? Like, uh, you know, right. So, really what happened was like the tip of my thumb, my thumb, which is the, what is it? Distal phalanx. I don't even know what the tip bone of my thumb piece of wood hit it and basically like snap, like cracked it. And I don't, I mean, there's a chip at the, the growth plate. Like, so like the, the spot in between, like where your, your first knuckle is on my thumb. Well, you just moved a little bit. Yeah. I, I can't, I mean, it, it seems like it's doing pretty well, but it's, I mean that you have like X-ray, a seven a, millimeter size chunk of bone. Yeah. I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> we'll see. I mean, I'm just waiting to be able to skate again, to be honest. Cause I can play fine. I can play with my fingers and I can, can't play very hard with a pick but i can hold a straight finger like a thumb my thumb and oh you I'm, can i'm fine yeah you've you oh you've been but holding if i were to like, like that. yeah like you can't flat thumb it like you need to no, like it. Yeah. Yeah. well i don't really play like that i actually play with like the tip like this oh you do yeah. even when you're digging in you don't flat thumb it ever no oh interesting yeah um I probably, maybe I should, I don't no, know. No, <laughs> you shouldn't do it. Hey, don't listen to me. I'm not like a picking expert or anything. Well, the interesting, the way that I play, I don't know if people can actually hear it. Cause I play really like, uh, I can, I know what I you're play talking really about. percussive. Yeah. Um, but a lot of the times when you're playing live or you're playing recorded compression kind of like knocks a lot of that out. Yeah. The wrong, the wrong production will get that bass tone out of there but there's a lot of really great rock bass tones especially overdriven sounds where having that pick scrape yeah on the bass string is good oh it sounds for sure. really cool right for sure um 
yeah so when i if i play hard i could probably like screw it up i have a doctor's appointment on friday it's thursday so tomorrow um to see if i need to do more about it but it it seems like it's it's gonna be fine like this this kind of break i don't think there's much you can do you just kind of gotta like if it's bad enough maybe bone grafting or something like surgery or not i hope not it doesn't i mean i'm not a doctor obviously but i figure if if you can move it a little bit and it's not like murdering your whole hand and arm then yeah i have a problem with not swelling that much though so Oh, that's good. I normally don't swell a lot. Yeah, um, so, I'm not a sweller or a bruiser. Yeah. So but I feel the like, pain. Oh, this thing's broken. Why aren't you swollen around it? Yeah. No, I thought it was fine, you know. Yeah. Um Yeah. Wait, I jump around so much. But no, I, no. what I was going to say about picking like um I have a tendency to like I do a lot of m- muting and uh, yeah. Like, uh, almost like, like, I don't know what you would call it. Like kind of chunky picking. Like I have a lot of like heavy upstroke kind of stuff. Or Where it's I'll, partially like, palm muted. Yeah. Yeah. Or I'll like actually like s- on pauses, I will actually like, oh fuck. Yeah. <laughs> I'll actually like slap the strings in a bit, which is yeah not slapping, but it's, it might be kind of similar to the way that the dynamics of like a slap works. There's a bass player. Damn. I forget his name that I just found out about that is like kind of like a, a guy that people nerd out about that, that has a similar style to what I do, but obviously he's like shreds. Probably plays like a eight string. No, 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 no. (laughs) He's like old fender. Like, Oh, cool. Um, damn it, I forget his name. Oh yeah, that oh yeah, that one guy. Um, what's his name? Getty Lee. Yeah. <laughs> yes. No. <laughs> Sorry, I'm being stupid. No, no, no. Um, do you have any parts right now that you play with your fingers, or are you always pick in thrice songs? Uh, I'm all I'm back and forth. I've been back and forth for most of the time that we've played together meaning you have parts of songs that you want that rounded non-percussive tone so you're going with your fingers finger um yeah do you hold your pick in your mouth when you switch back for those songs um i got to this point where you know obviously in rx i'm doing so much switching and stuff that i started getting sick of holding picks in my teeth so i just started just chucking them oh really i was i thought you were gonna say you use like a thumb pick like one of the (laughs) The, like banjo yeah i i started using a thumb pick and then i added that pick holder onto the front of my guitar where, no i'm just kidding yeah i didn't do that no i just have an extra mic i have another mic stand over my keyboard setup and then i have another pick holder yeah, there, yeah. so yeah which is i feel kind of douchey saying that just because it's so wasteful and eh, people are picking him up yeah but it's just like you know yeah I just think about how many things that I like that are so wasteful. Like I really like the feeling of fresh strings every show. If it's a support slot and you're paying 30 mi- playing 30 minutes. Okay. If they're wiped down good, mm-hmm. they're cool. But headlining sets, the amount of sweat, like I hate, I hate even just one set 
strings. I, I love the feeling of fresh strings, sure. but I'm like, do I really need that? Dude, I do. Would the guitar techs though have anything else to do if they didn't have yeah, that right? to do also? So, um, I don't know if it's like ass acidic or basic sweat, but I have a thing that kills strings like insanely fast. Me too. I have a lot of hand oils and stuff. Like, are you the type that gets the oxidized green stuff on there? No. Because my strings, like if you run your fingers down them after like a headlining set, yeah. it's textured. You can oh, wow. feel, you know, because. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like, it's oxidizing the strings. Yeah. And it's also like, I mean, it sounds gross, but it's chunks of our skin from our fingers. Sure. Yeah. Literally of our calluses just chilling on the string. Yeah. It's, binded there by sweat. It's crazy. So, sorry to be so gross, but that's what it is for everybody listening. You know? No, I mean, thank, thank you, Ernie Ball, because I use a lot of yeah. strings. Thank you, Ernie Ball. <laughs> I've been using your all uh, nickel strings for a very long time, the custom gauges. So That's awesome. Yeah. What gauges do you play? Uh, I play, I've gone through some phases. Um, I play the power base which is like it's like one of the names of the colored packs the slinky is it the 110 on the low 110 yeah purple but then we also play uh, standard from d oh so it's like full step down and then then i also drop tune so it's c yeah you need the heavier gauges for that yeah, yeah yeah so but i i also found there was a while where i was playing like 125 Oh my God. Um, that was like, uh, artist in the ambulance days. That's a big string. Dude. It doesn't sound, I mean, it sounds good if you're playing like real low. So certain songs that we have, some of the stuff off the, uh, the fire EP, some of the like heavy, like if you hear like real low notes, like, uh, on Visu, the earth will shake like the certain songs we play. Um, it's like a tuning that I think. Were you going as low as C on the low string? Oh, it's A. It's that low A? Yeah, yeah. but but I play, the other guys play baritones that are dropped. So it would be, a baritone would be standard B. Right. And they do drop A. And then I play standard, like what would be E. Yeah, down to A. But then I, it's A, A, D, G. So it's. Oh, it's an octave A above the low A. Yeah. A, A, D, G. Yeah wild so so with that that one i actually do play a 125 because that's that you need the tension on that to work and you just do that on your grabber Mm -hmm. but then all the other strings aren't the power power base they're actually like a lighter gauge yeah but how does that 125 sit in the nut for a 110 it just sits above it right this is another thing that i do (laughs) this is uh i i have I switch all my nuts out to brass nuts and I, I, Oh, that's I, smart. Yeah, yeah. I like that sound too. I like it with, with bass speci- I, I haven't really done it with a guitar. Yeah. I meant bass. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. it kind of makes the open string sound a little bit more like a fretted string. And with, with bass, I find that you're really not hunting for low end as much as you are articulation in the mids and highs. Yeah. And rock agreed. Yeah. Yeah. Within Um, rock for sure. Yeah. And the, and the way that I set up stuff, like I play with my fingers and all of a sudden it 
sounds like less of a rock guitar. I can make it sound more jazzy or whatever. And then if I switch to a pick, I can play hard enough to where it peaks some of the pedals and amp setup that I use where it ends up getting a little bit distorted, but that's without yeah. actually like hitting on a distortion pedal. So it's almost like, um, like how blues guitars player players yeah. set up their gain structure. That's exactly how we in RX set up our gain staging too, okay. which is the harder you dig in, the more distorted it gets, sure. which is literally what our whole guitar sound is predicated upon. Not yeah. just some flat, slammed harmonic distortion yeah. on your guitar which is the sound of like different genres you know with active pickups and you know where yeah. there isn't really much dynamics but that's also some caleb schofield shit for basis for me like that that was something that he was doing legit yeah yeah and we we're similar in that way where we're seeking dynamics in both of our bands mm -hmm. our bands are are both very dynamic and because I don't know, man. It's dynamics are important in music and yes. I feel like it's underrated. Lately. For sure. We have so much static dynamic music that once it sets something, it just stays there, yeah. you know, whether low or high. And so I, yeah. I also trip out about like how many things in music can be dynamic. So many things. So it's like, uh, it can be loudness. It can be like, um, the amount of yeah. note, notes that you're using or how like melodic a part is. It can be whether you're singing or screaming. It can be right, the velocity know. with which you're picking the velocity with which you're striking the drum, mm -hmm. where you're striking the drum, Oh, how downward your cymbal crashes are, how much you're shading them to the side, like yep. all this stuff. Yep. And then on top of that, everybody thinks a lot of the times in the terms of like, we're all quiet. We're all loud. Like, where no, everything can be dynamic at different times in different yeah. proportions. And, you know, yeah. And like, yeah, like juxt juxtaposing parts too can create like so much dynamic, like, yeah, it's I mean, the best you put something that's super pretty next to something that's super not pretty. And that makes the pretty thing seem prettier and the not pretty things seem not prettier. Oh yeah. It's nothing hits. Like a chorus never hits as hard as when, you know, the chorus itself is really melodic and poppy, but it comes right after something really dissonant and strugglesome sounding, you know, sure, what I mean? yeah, yeah. and then it just busts into this major key melody and you're just like, ah, you know? yeah, that's another dynamic is unexpectedness like that. Totally. If you fool the listener, like, I mean, obviously if they, you hear the song a million times, you know what the song's going to do, but like that first listen dude like yeah it's something that i think was hugely popular and utilized in the 90s i think so much alternative music was based upon quiet verse loud chorus mm -hmm. quiet loud in that like juxtaposition you know yeah it's a speaking of botch it's something i love about botch dude yeah you know cave into cave into is oh. that uh until your heart stop song it might be until your hearts or no it might be juggernaut that's both great songs where there's like that chuggy part and there's like all the best heavy bands employ that yeah seriously like they did though yeah no i'm just saying that there's very few heavy bands i like that don't you know even metal bands yeah you know you need to like metallica wouldn't have been metallica without their mellow you know yeah dungeons and dragons parts or whatever you call okay. them.
crazy. Or if you're into like Opeth, where they just do whole albums of uh, Elfcraft and then yes. whole albums of heavy metal like riffs and grooves, you know? So funny. Or not funny. Gnarly. It's what gnarly. Well, how come you can still skate with your thumb hurt? No, I mean, I'm not not going to until I see this doctor. So I went I, I went to like an urgent care and they gave me an x-ray and they told That's me what my I thumb saw. was broken. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then they were like, well, we'll, we'll set you up with a, um, what the orthopedic doctor, like hand, yeah. hand specialist or whatever. And that's taken like a month, not a month, a week, which is kind of scary to me. Cause if it is something where it would be bad, it'd be like, they'd have to re-break it, which is frustrating. I don't think they will need to re-break it if you still have like motion. Sure. Yeah. I don't, I don't think it's that bad. I'm Again, just, I'm not I, a doctor. That's it, just a guess. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I had a night like a couple nights ago where I, I woke up and I was like, wait, what if this is like bad? <laughs> and then I just started like spinning yeah. off of it. Like, cause it wasn't, it hurt real bad when I did it felt better pretty quick after but it was like it's just like one of those accidents where it's like a freak accident it's like totally pretty pretty frightening like yeah. the funny thing is my other thumb actually got blasted too but it just split it open like like a it, cut yeah um but it didn't it didn't like it didn't the all the force was into my right thumb which is my picking thumb and i was like oh shoot like what if and lose like a certain amount of like feel in my right thumb forever. That would, that would suck. It's like actually like a way that I picking thumb is still better than fretboard thumb. I think you think so. I mean, dude, yeah. no matter what your playing style is, no matter who you are, there are times where if you hold the guitar in a traditional way, you need the counterbalance of your thumb yeah, yeah, to yeah. perform certain things. Sure. I, I mean, don't uh, care whether you use two fingers or four fingers, like you need the thumb. That's very true. And so much of the way you play and how you play is your feel. And a lot of that has to do with. Yeah. And the, once the you pressure. start to get more comfortable on any guitar instrument, you realize that a lot of your movement around the neck especially in faster things your thumb may not be moving your hand but your thumb is the guide yeah, yeah. It, it's the you know what i mean yeah. like uh, how did how should you say the needle on the meter or, or yeah, whatever yeah. it is but for me it's more in my style of playing because i have small shitty hands for the guitar so i'm Dude, constantly you and, you and tepe both small hands yeah i don't know yeah i mean i don't have a big hand but i also well, us Asians are not do, known for do. having big hands. You know? <laughs> None of us are like palming basketballs or something yeah. like that. So, Koreans, know. though, there are some big Korean dudes. There are. And there are some big Japanese dudes, too. But That's true. The, the majority of us are within a very uniform size range. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So. But uh, I hope, you know, that your appointment tomorrow goes well so that yeah. we can go skate those curves again. I just set up a new cruiser. Oh, red. That I'm probably going to skate curves with. So, yeah, I've been, I mean, I've had a pretty, pretty awesome reconnection with skateboarding. Um, actually yeah. since I moved up to the, the Bay area, I followed, um, my fiance, she was going to school 
up there. Um, and a lot of that was just me finding a way to spend my time without like a solid friend group up there. And then I ended up meeting a bunch of friends through skating and then we moved back down to LA last year. And, um, then the pandemic happened and it was actually, it's actually been like really good, uh, like almost like therapeutic in a way. I mean, I've heard people throw that around quite a bit, but, um, I've spent a lot of my time in my life skateboarding and it, 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 uh, has brought me a lot of joy and a lot of accomplishment and a lot of friend groups, pain. Um, I mean, I've met a lot of, I mean, I've met my band through it. I met, you know, you, I mean, well, I met you through the band, but uh, it's also because of something we share. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you even have a cruiser board? Do you only have a street board? Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I, it's funny cause I had a cruiser from like mid two thousands, but that's basically like the board that I'm riding now. So it was, ba- it was a popsicle shape with bigger wheels. Oh, okay. But it was a popsicle that was an eight, eight and a half when I was riding like an eight or eight two five or whatever. It's a big jump <clears throat> just from eight two five to eight five is a big jump if yeah. you're into skateboarding, you know? But now, like, I actually have, um, I've been skating these uh, beach curbs in Santa Monica, and Mike York is, like, from Chocolate, like, skateboarder. For, he skates there all the time, and he has this company called Roller Horror. Roller Horror, yep. And uh, they're shaped boards, so uh, it's like... They're cool shapes, uh, too. Yeah, it's the first time I've ridden a board that's not a popsicle. Do you have, like, the square-tailed one? Yeah. Yeah. With the but big, like, it's a pretty big nose, too. It's pretty big. This is the interesting thing about it. It's the same dimensions as my normal board. Like, eight and a half. Right. Same length, but the wheelbase is shorter, so the nose and tail are bigger. Are, are a little bit bigger. Yeah. I, well, that's what I thought. They're actually, The nose and tail are actually the same size. They're just shaped different. So I, they're like, I, I like th- that. I think it's like six and three quarters or something, tail and nose. They're bent up probably further back maybe, mm-hmm. right? And the nose is narrow and the tail, the yeah. n- narrower and the tail is like square. Um, but the narrow, uh, what, why am I spacing on this? The distance between the trucks, whatever, wheelbase. Yeah. Um, it's like super awesome for like thing like flip jerks and and stuff that I always thought like wouldn't really be something that you would be able to do with a shaped board. Tighter wheelbases are way awesome. There was a Jim Greco black label board mm-hmm. that was like that same shape, squared tail, like, like a solid nose, yeah. with shorter wheelbase. Yeah. It's interesting. Cause I know like uh, a couple pros that had like their pro model and they would always get like slightly shorter and yeah. shorter boards. Like, I'm like, why isn't that the one that they sell in shops? But uh, they're just know. like, make everybody else skate this 33 or 34 inch long board with these <laughs> like giant wheelbases. You know yeah. what I mean? But, um, but I'm liking it. And, and like, I'm meeting a lot of, a lot of rad people through skating again. Um, 
We should go check out that new Whittier Park one of these mornings. Yeah, I, dude, I, I just, yeah, as soon as I get this doctor. Yeah, well, if and when you're able to, obviously. Okay, yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm miss. it's been a week since I, I think I did, actually did this about this time last Thursday to my thumb. Um, well, I, I'm pretty positive. I just feel like looking at it, I've seen ones that did not look like yours. Yeah. Oh, it could have been. It could have been bad. I'm so glad. Yeah, when you first told me about it on the phone, I was thinking from the thumb joint here all the way bent back, and I've seen that happen to people, and it's ugly. Yeah. Yeah. What's it? Yeah. Do you know what a hitchhiker's thumb is? Yes, I do. Okay. I don't have that. Yeah, I was going to say, you don't have a hitchhiker's thumb. But when this happened, it it did that to my thumb. Like, it, it... bent it straight back from the first joint you know yeah i think you and me both have those kind of like power paws <laughs> where we kind of have stubby fingers and yeah. if there was an opposite of hitchhikers yeah, yeah we're like always kind of our default position with our hands this is like this half grip yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> like if you see me chilling on the couch or like falling asleep my hand won't be open like this it's, yeah, it's like this yeah <laughs> you know what i mean the claw yeah, I bet you have a pretty strong grip. I don't know. Maybe we should arm wrestle after this or something. No, I'm just kidding. In, in a in a hermetically sealed suits. <laughs> How long do you think we've been talking for now? Uh, two hours. Almost. Well, it went by so fast. Yeah, it did. And honestly, if you're listening. This is how our conversations go when we're not recording or, yeah. or when we're just kind of... It's like a skate skate combo condensed without yeah. tricks in between. Right, yeah. So <laughs> uh, thanks again so much for doing this. Dude, thanks for having me. I'll do it. I mean, you're, whenever. You're another person where it it's too vast, so you're going to have to come on again. Sure. Um, and... I value this conversation just as much as any of the ones that you and I have in private only for us to hear. So yeah, it's really good. So thanks again, man. I really appreciate it. Oh, thanks for having me. And yeah, um, let's, let's do it again. Let's skate. Let's, well, we are, you're stuck with me. You're my yeah, friend. Let's, let's you're oh, my actually, friend. can I ask you a question before, yeah, totally. before we go, what totally. was the last show you saw before? Not my band. Yeah. Was it a while? Admittedly, yes. <laughs> it might have. I don't. I, honestly, it might have been you. Oh, really? Damn. Honestly, it might have been at House of Blues. Oh, dang. When I went to see you guys. Oh, it It was either that or. It was either that or. I. It would have. No, yeah, I think I think that was it. Okay. Was yeah. that on the last tour or the tour? Of that was 2019, right? Me without you? Whoa, man. Did you guys do that tour in 2019? No, that's 2020. I think. Yeah. Then it wasn't that tour. Wow. Okay. So then yeah. it was 2018. <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. It could have been 2019, but just I feel before, like, like I went like, and saw you guys at House of Blues about four weeks before I started the Sound of Animals Fighting Tour. Yeah, that yeah following okay, spring. Okay, yeah, And yeah. then I saw you. You came to the Warfield that day during Soundcheck. Yep. We hung out for a bit and you had to go, but 
that was after your tour had ended. Yeah. Am, am I remembering that? Yeah. What was the last show you saw? Uh, Cult of Luna. Oh, cool. It was Cult of Luna and Emma Ruth Rundle. Cool. Um, That's a cool bill. It, dude. The, yeah, it was a good one to. I to saw have. Cult of Luna at Chain Reaction, I think in 2012, I want to say. Okay. I could be wrong about that though. Yeah. I'll be honest. I've been really shitty about going to shows. It's all, it's, it's hard when you. And you're, I mean, I had some, usually I will don't go to a show unless somebody's like, Hey, are you going to come to this show? And they'll be like, yeah, you know, like totally, um, totally. Yeah. When you're, when you're playing shows all the time, it's hard to get out unless you know somebody that's in the band. Cause it helps to, my move is going to hang out with my friends in the day and then leaving for the show. I mean, that's what I had to do it. Yeah. Your, your so show. yeah, so I I understand it completely. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's the move, because my aim is to actually spend quality time with the people I like, yeah, like my yeah. friends and people I want to see. And I know that there are people that like to be around the event and be seen, and I'm not judging that either. That's cool. Like yeah. I don't look down on that, but that's just really not who I am. Like yeah. I, again, I'm socially anxious. I'm I'm antisocial. I I I dislike that sort of thing. Yeah, so. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, I'm a weirdo. You know that. Both, both of us. I think we're we're weird in the same way, yeah. in a lot of the same ways. So yeah, that's why I like you so much. Same. All right. Well, thanks again for being <laughs> here. Yeah. Thanks for having me. All right. Bye bye. Pepe had a garage. Should I be saying this? Are you recording? I don't, I don't know. Bowie, Dylan, Marley. You've heard the names and maybe you've heard their songs. But what about the stories behind the records that make titans of music like these so universally loved and important? Join me, Josh Adam Myers, host of The 500, as each week I go through a different album from Rolling Stone Magazine's 500 Greatest Albums list from 2012 with an incredible lineup of comedians, actors, and musicians talking about how the music has impacted their lives. New episodes of The 500 come out every Wednesday. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts.